This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Who thinks it's good to be in the house of the Lord on this fine Sunday morning? Man, it seems like that rain uh, really put everybody in a nice mood. I appreciate that because where I come from, rain puts you in a bad mood because you get so much of it. But out here, when it rains twice a year, on the, you know, this is the first time of the year, uh, you know, we're believing for more rain than that. But, you know, everyone just it's kind of like a, like a nice day in the Midwest. So, uh, But we're going to continue this Sunday on our prayer topic that we've been on since the beginning of the year. Now, does anybody know what our theme verse for 2018 is? Anybody? Wow. Did you know that it's on one of the front pillars of the building? It's literally pasted on the front of this, uh, drilled. It's Isaiah 53.7. It's on your bulletins. It's, on, it's even on the calendar that you have at your house. But it says that God is making his house a house of prayer for all nations. And it says he will make us joyful in the house of prayer. And so, I mean, there's a lot wrapped into that verse right there. But what we do know is this is that this year, 2018, is the year that God is calling us as High Desert Word Center into being a church of prayer. Now, we all pray some, and we all pray a little bit, but this is the year to really become prayer warriors for Jesus. Amen? For the kingdom of God. And on top of it, I love that the verse says, He'll make us joyful in the house of prayer. So where you don't have to say, Oh, man, we got to go to prayer meeting. Ah. What is it, Tuesday already? Oh, Sunday nights. All right, we'll go because they want us to, but we don't, we don't, we don't, we're not going willingly. We're going because we have to, okay? No, it's not going to be that attitude anymore. It's going to be joyful to go to the house of prayer, to pray to God, to talk with God. It's going to put you in a good mood. It's going to change your day and change your life. Amen? And so that's what God has called us to in 2018, to be a people of prayer and to be joyful in the house of prayer. Now, if you need an outline for this morning's message, raise your hand. And one of these handsome ushers, they would love, they love to pass things out. They love doing that. And so they'd love to give you one. But the title today is this, is Pray for the Harvest. Pray for the Harvest. And listen, I've got harvest on my mind right now. I've got harvest on my soul, on my spirit today. And what I'm talking about is this, a harvest of souls, a harvest of people for the kingdom of God. Now, if you've been following along, uh, Easter Sunday, we have a huge outreach planned right here on our property. We're praying to draw at least 200 kids, and I really believe we'll get 200 kids that day. But we're, that's our goal. But we're bringing in people. We're advertising it. We're inviting people. And we're going to be giving away, you know, of course, candy, but... Most importantly, we're giving away the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the best gift I ever received. I mean, I'm blessed. I've got a great family. I come from a good family and I've got a lot of blessings. But the best thing that I've ever been given is eternal life, is salvation. It's forgiveness for my sins. And that's what we're going to be, the main thing that's being given away on Easter Sunday. But at the same time, we're going to, our goal is we're going to bless families, man. We're going to be giving out some gift cards to grocery stores, giving out some scooters to kids and all sorts of great stuff. It's going to be an amazing day. But none of it matters for anything if we don't pray for the harvest. Me giving a grocery card to somebody is not going to save them. And it's not going to change their life. I mean, it's a nice thing. And it's, I want to bless but that will not get them to heaven. 
But if they receive Jesus, if they come in to the harvest, that will get them to heaven when they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's the only way. You guys know that? That there's no other way to get to heaven except through receiving Jesus Christ? That's it, man. And I've got Jesus, and you've got Jesus, and I don't want to keep Jesus to myself. I want to give him to everybody that I come across. And so we are praying for the harvest in this season. And on top of all that, I mean, this is just, it just keeps getting better. Next Sunday, we've got an awesome evangelist coming in. Uh, Reverend Brian Bester is going to be here with us. Amen. He's from Northern California, but recently uh, relocated to Missouri. But him and his wife and his son, they are powerful. They're going to be here with us next Sunday morning and night. So be here, man. Bring somebody and watch what God can do. But who could say that they are hungry for some harvest? Who can say that they are ready to see the kingdom of God getting filled up and we're going to steal people from the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light and to the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. This is the season. For revival. This is the season for a great awakening to God. And I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. So don't get me started today because we could be here for a minute. All right. So let's go ahead. And uh, the first thing I want to say is this. Number one is the harvest is plentiful. Have you noticed that the harvest is plentiful? There's no, I mean, there's no problem. If you go win a thousand people to the Lord this week, we're not going to say, well, I guess the job's done. That was it. That, the harvest is done. There's nothing left for me. You took all of it. No, there is plenty of harvest to go around for all of us. Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 2 this morning. Yeah. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. And I'm telling you, you need to highlight Luke 10, too, because you need to know this verse. You have got to know Luke chapter 10, verse 2. You need to be very familiar with this because this is important for a New Testament believer, for a New Testament Christian that lives in 2018. They need to know what Luke 10, 2 says. So let's, let's check this out. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And, and listen, this wasn't just the 12. He was talking to everybody. Verse 1 tells us he was, chose 72 other guys at this point in time to be with him. But Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus said this. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great. It's plentiful. There's plenty of harvest out there. But the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And so what we don't have here is a shortage of harvest for a problem. What we have here is a shortage of workers as a problem. Now, what is the harvest? The harvest is sinners, man. It's beautiful sinners. That's what the harvest is. And so we look around the world and we see all this bad news and all these people doing crazy things. And on one hand, yeah, that's terrible. But on the other hand, it means, hey, we've got a job to do. That's job security, man. As long as there are sinners, there's a need for you. If there's no more sinners, you might as well just go to heaven right now. I mean, there's not, I mean, it's, there's not much else to do. But as long as there are hurting people in this world, as long as there are people that are living in the kingdom of darkness, people that are slaves to sin, that's good news for you because you still have a job to do and you still serve a purpose in this world. And so the harvest is great. There is, have you noticed that there's no shortage of sinners? Anybody else notice that? 
That was, my eyes are really opening. I mean, I, every time I think, wow, there's just really no one else left. I've never thought that. But at the same time, you just look around. You can walk down the street in Barstow and you're like, wow, the harvest is great. There's just not enough people out here doing the job, man. The, 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 the workers are few. There's not enough people working for God. But there, if you sit there and think, well, there's nobody else to talk to about Jesus, you are mistaken. The harvest is plentiful. It's, there's never been more harvest of souls to be won than there is right now in 2018. And so, as crazy as it sounds, one of the key ingredients to having a revival is sin. Because if everybody's living holy, if everybody's living righteous, if everybody's got it together already, they don't need to be revived. They're already living for the Lord. But if there is mass sin on a mass level, there is a need for an awakening and a revival to God. Amen. And so I'm telling you right now, 2018, this is the perfect season to see an awakening and a revival to Jesus in Barstow, in San Bernardino County, in California, and in the United States of America. This is the season, and you're, you're just blessed that God lets you be born for this season. Now, a lot of times people are like, man, I wish I could have been born back in those days. I don't. There's more sinners right now than there were back then. This is a better time to be living right now because there's more people to win to Jesus Christ. So let me show you something in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Let's go, let's go here for a minute. Now I'm just going to warn you up front, these verses are not pretty. They're not inspirational. And they're not going to make you feel good. So there's your disclaimer. No meltdowns. My son Isaac would call you a cupcake. That's like... Calm down, cupcake. It's not that bad. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. Uh, this is, it's not pretty, but, but it is true of the day and the age that we live in. And so we live in a very exciting time. This is the most exciting time in the history of the world. People look around and they say, all I see is bad news. Well, listen, that bad news means that there is a great work of God. If we can turn this thing around, we're going to see the latter rain. We're going to see the biggest revival that the world has ever seen. You can't have revival if everybody's perfect. You can't have revival if everybody's already saved and gutted together and living holy. You need sinners and we've got those. Are you getting my point today? Isaiah chapter 5 verse 18, it says, What sorrow... For those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies, who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. They even mock God and say, hurry up and do something. We want to see what you can do. Let the Holy One of Israel carry out his plan, for we want to know what it is. That's the voice of a mocker right there. That is not some holy person genuinely calling God holy. That's saying, come on, if you're so big and bad, God, let's see what you can do. If you really are real, I dare you to do something to me right now. And there are people with that attitude that say, if you are real, I, I'm gonna, I double dog dare you to strike me right now. I dare you to come down here and put a stop to me. That's, they, they shake their fist at God. They're mockers. I see people like that in our day where they dare God and they cross the line every single day. And they're, see, nothing happened. Everything's okay. Something is going to happen eventually. But look at this. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good, but good is evil. That dark is light and light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those 
who are wise in their own eyes, and they think themselves so clever. What sorrow for those who are great heroes at drinking wine and boast about all the alcohol they can hold. Come on. I know people like that. I know people that they, they, they somehow think it's, that they, I'm impressed by how much beer they can drink. You think that impresses me? There's probably literally nothing in this world that impresses me less than how much alcohol you can hold. That is not impressive to me. That, that, that means nothing to me. All it says is that you're dumber than we thought you were. Anyway, verse 23. They take bribes to let the wicked go free, but they punish the innocent. 2018, they take bribes to let the wicked go. Then they end up punishing the innocent. Therefore, just as fire licks up stubble and dry grass shrivels in the flame, so their roots will rot and their flowers wither, for they have rejected the law of the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts. They have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Wow. There was a lot wrapped up in those few verses right there. But does any of that sound familiar to anybody in here besides me? We're talking about people, they despise the word of God. They despise, they mock God, they shake their fist at God. They dare God to do something about what they're living in their life. And I'm telling you, that is a dangerous position to be in. One verse that sticks out to me here is verse 20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And I'm telling you, right now, there's people all over the place that are so mixed up. They call what is good as being evil. There's things the Bible has said for thousands of years. This is a good thing. It's good for this to happen. It's good for people to love. It's good for mom and dad to stay together. It's good for this to happen. And people are, oh no, that's bad. That's a bad thing. No, it's not. It's been good and it's worked perfectly for thousands of years. But here we are so wise in our own eyes that now we know better than God. And so things that have been good and have worked successfully for thousands of years. No, no, that's not good. That's bad. And then things that have been known to be pure evil for thousands of years right now in this day and age, people are saying, oh, no, that's not evil. That's actually a good thing. That's a good thing. You're, you're stupid. You're, you're old-fashioned. You're, you're out of touch with reality, man. That's not evil. That's actually good. And it's ripping this nation apart. It's ripping families and children apart and killing people. But we're so wise that we sit and say, no, I know. I know the Bible says that's evil. But no, that's a good thing. That's good right there. Talk about deception. And it says, what sorrow awaits the person that says evil is good, but good is evil. There's a lot of sorrow awaiting that individual. There's a lot of sorrow awaiting a lot of people because they are so deceived. And I'm telling you right now, we right now live in a day and age where people call evil good. I was thinking about... I saw this protest going on, because that's the new thing to do, right? Just join a protest somewhere. There's plenty of them. And so I saw this lady holding up a sign in Washington, D.C. that said, If Mary had had an abortion, we would not be in this mess. You just dared to say that Mary should have aborted Jesus Christ. And she thought, I, she was apparently proud of it. She was holding the sign and waving around, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, ho, 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 ho. 
I'm just going to stand back from that right there. I'm not even going to get that. You are going to you have the audacity to stand up and say that you wish that Jesus Christ would have been murdered at birth. Woo! And there's a whole bunch of supporters, though, saying, no, that's a good thing. That's good. This is a good thing. They're calling evil good and good evil. That is a bad thing. If, we, if you wish that Jesus had been, you, you wouldn't be in the mess. If Jesus had, you don't even know the mess that you would be in right now if Jesus had never been born. Even if you don't receive him. You're blessed enough that there's a whole bunch of his followers surrounding you, whether you like them or not. You're totally blessed that there's a billion of us that believe in Jesus. Because if there was no light in this world, Jesus said that we are the light of the world. Once the light is taken out of this world, you have no idea how bad it's going to get. There's going to be seven years of pure hell on earth called the Great Tribulation when all of us crazy ones get taken out. You don't want to be here for those seven years. You do not want to be here when the light is taken out of this world because darkness will take over and there's going to be pure hell that people have never even begun to imagine. You think it's bad now? Wait till the tribulation, buddy. It's going to be a billion times worse than anything you have ever seen or dreamt of in your entire life. And so we're talking about, and I'm, I'm going to get positive in a little bit, so just stick with me. We're going to get, we're going to make you feel good here in a few. But I'm talking about we live in this day and age where people call evil good and good evil. Now, this is obviously not a good thing, but at the same time, this tells me Jesus has a job for me to do right now. Jesus has a need for me because if there are that many deceived people, if there are that many people that are not living for God right now, there is a great need. And so again, the harvest is great. There's just not enough workers out there. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest field. And so I'm telling you right now, now is the day and age. And the perfect example that I can think of this, this is, I guess, my Sunday to take people off, so stick with me. But this is, um, I mean, the, the best example that I can see of why we need God in America again. Of why we need an awakening. There's no more evil thing in this world than abortion. I said it. I went there. I went there. There's no more evil thing in this world than killing the innocent and then saying, that's a good thing. No, that's not, that's not evil. That's good. Good. Do you realize the judgment that is due to this nation because of that? Since 1973, we've killed over 60 million babies. That's why, I mean, what's our population? 350 million? That's a sizable chunk of people that we could have here right now. We've killed over 60 million babies. And you know the crazy part? That's not even accurate because the state of California will not release the numbers of abortions they have. And we're the most populated state. California and Maryland won't release their stats. And so 60 million sounds like a lot, but that's all we know about. There's a lot more than that. And, and, uh, and currently there's about 3,000 babies killed every day and a lot of people are like well i couldn't be against that because what if what if you know it's for this case what if it's for that cause okay you want to go there we can go there listen the percentage that is for the risk of the mother's health is less than one percent incest accounts for 0.001 percent and rape counts for less than 0.05 percent 
So pretty much 99% are just because it's an inconvenient baby that we don't want. 99%. Right now, 16.7% of all pregnancies in the United States end in abortion. And in New York City, 37.4% of pregnancies end in abortion. I'm not talking about miscarriage. I'm not talking about something. I'm talking about they chose to kill the baby. And so I'm not going, you know, I'm not going negative. I, I try to bring up this topic at least once a year because I feel we have some sort of, uh, there's a reason to bring it up. And so a lot of times people will say, well, yeah, but we couldn't get rid of this. We couldn't pray against this because what if this is what the case was? Okay, so what you're now saying is two wrongs make a right. Because something bad happened to this one. That's terrible. That is awful. That makes it okay to kill somebody. So that means if Mike robs from me, it's okay if I go and rob from Josh. He wronged me so I can wrong somebody else and that'll make it okay. And I'm, I'm only doing it to him because somebody messed with me first. Two wrongs never make a right. Even if something terrible happened to Mama, and I, I mean, that breaks my heart. That's the worst thing I've ever heard of in my life. That's terrible. It doesn't make it okay to kill another person. And yet, I know people, there's probably people in this room right now that think that's okay and they would justify that. There is no justification. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We have a lot of deceived people on our hands. And I'm telling you this right now, that there's a day of reckoning coming. And that scares me. That scares me. And, and what I know is this. The harvest is great. There's just not enough workers out there doing the job. God said pray. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth more workers into the fields. And so I'm telling you, who thinks that the United States is ripe for an awakening and ripe for a harvest right now? Right now is the time. Right now is the day for us to have an awakening. And just throw one more stat out there before I move on and quit, you know, making people mad at me. Think about it this way. Now, this, is, this is what I've always thought of. A person is determined to be clinically alive if they have brain waves or a heartbeat. So if you've got a heartbeat, then we consider you a living person. Or if you have brain activity, a baby in the womb has all of that by three weeks, by 21 days. 99% of abortions are after 21 days. Drop the mic right there. I'm telling you, that's a living person right there by every definition. I remember a few years ago in the town that Katie grew up in, Franklin, Indiana, some guy goes into the bank with a shotgun, robs the bank. The, the teller is pregnant with twins, shoots her right in the stomach. She doesn't die, but the babies die. But because they weren't to six months yet, the guy just, all he got charged with was uh, attempted murder and manslaughter or something. But he didn't get any charge against killing two babies. There's some messed up laws in this place. That's messed up. He killed two people and he should rot. <laughs> you should rot for that. And so anyway, you know, I'm just trying to drive home. This is one, one small little area out of a thousand that we could look at. But what I'm trying to say today is this. There's a plenteous harvest out there because there's no shortage of sinners. There's no shortage of sin. There's no shortage of things going on that tell me I should be out there preaching. I should be out there witnessing. I should be out there telling people about Jesus Christ. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. So who thinks that maybe 2018 is your year to go out to the fields? To get off of the couch, 
lay the remote down, step away from the remote, step away, put your phone over there, hands up, get away from the remote, get away from the TV, get the behind off the couch and go out and tell somebody about Jesus and tell them, man, if you don't switch that up, bro, something bad's going to happen. You've got to make a change right now. We need people that will get some fire in their bones. We, we could use another Billy Graham. We could use another hundred. We could use another thousand Billy Grahams. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want Jesus to come back and I'm just sitting there and I haven't told anybody about Jesus all year long. I don't, want, I don't want Jesus to come back and I'm sitting there eating Cheetos, watching a movie with the remote in my hand, and there's somebody dying on the street in front of me that doesn't know Jesus. Wouldn't that be pathetic? Wouldn't that be awful? If there's somebody that's been placed in your life right now, maybe there's somebody you work with that absolutely gets under your skin worse than anything. What if Jesus sent them to that job so you could be the one to show them the way to salvation? But you're too busy being mad and hating them every day. I hate him. I can't stand him. He's annoying. I, I don't want to be around him. But you're too busy with that attitude to tell him about Jesus. And you realize that we'll all stand before God someday when we get to heaven. And he's going to say, hey, Hello, I sent that guy right to you. I sent the fish right to the boat. Why didn't you do anything with that guy? Man, he was annoying. Couldn't stand him. It's annoying, man. He's a Raiders fan. Good Lord. Oh, I forgot. Oh, sorry. He's a Cowboys fan. They're the worst, man. All right. All right. All right, so anyway, what I'm saying is this. Whether they are an obnoxious football fan of some obnoxious team, whatever their problem is in life, I'm telling you this right now, maybe God sent somebody into your life and you are their lifeline. You are the one that is called to show them the way to salvation, but you just don't like them, so you're not going to do anything about it. You're going to sit there and eat Cheetos on your couch and watch movies and not get up and, and witness to somebody. You're going to have to talk to God about that one someday. I know I'm going, to, I'm going to have to talk to God someday about who I did and did not witness to. And, uh, hey, listen, I want that to be a good conversation. So, point number two is this, since we are obviously love point number one. That's the most heat I've felt since last summer. Uh, number two is this. Go out into the fields. The harvest is plentiful. Number two, go out into the fields. Why are we not out there in the fields working the harvest right now? Whether you believe it or you don't believe it, you have a duty to tell other people about Jesus. Do you believe that? Are you just saying that because you're in church and it's the right answer? We'll call that out. All right. Do you really believe that you have some sort of obligation, a duty to tell other people about the news that you have, that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that you don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. Think about it this way. What if you had inside information? You of all people, you, you had inside 100% guaranteed, you know, it's 100% true information that an absolute national disaster catastrophe was going to take place. Sometime soon, you don't know the exact date, but you absolutely know and you're convinced that there is a catastrophe that is getting ready to happen and cost lots and lots of lives. And you know, you know it's going to happen. You just don't know the exact date. Would you feel some sort of obligation to tell somebody? 
would you feel some sort of obligation to to let some, to, to at least send out some sort of a warning? Or would you say, ah, uh, they're going to think I'm weird. <laughs> they're going to think I'm crazy. I better not say anything. They're going to they're think I'm one of them. They're going to think I'm, I, I'm not, I'm going to keep it to myself. And then lo and behold, the disaster happens. And there's a lot of people that you could have helped out, but you didn't tell anybody because you didn't want to get embarrassed. You didn't want to look weird. You didn't want to, people to think not like you anymore. Whatever the case is, that's pretty much what we've got going on right now. Joel 3.20 says, Thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision, but it's there that the day of the Lord will soon arrive. There's a lot of people that are waiting. They're right there in the valley of decision. They're waiting. And we listen to me. I am convinced that Jesus is coming back. You can't talk me out of that one. I am totally, 1,000% convinced that Jesus Christ is going to come out of the sky someday. We're going to hear a trumpet and all the ones that belong to him, we're going up. And then a lot of people are going to get left here for a tribulation that is, again, going to be hell on earth. And so I'm convinced that there is a major disaster and catastrophe coming, the likes of which the world has never seen before. But we're all guilty of believing that, but not really going and telling anybody about it. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many in here have led somebody to the Lord within the last 365 days. I wonder how many people in here have come across this sinner because you were all saying amen a few minutes ago. I wonder how many people in here have told somebody else about Jesus Christ within the last two years, three years, four years. I wonder how many of us have prayed for somebody on the street, have seen somebody sick and hurting, have seen somebody that we know is not serving Jesus, but we didn't say anything to him at all within the last two, three, four years. It's probably a lot, isn't there? I mean, I'm not insulting you personally. I'm just saying, listen, there's probably a lot out. I know I've missed it. I have missed it plenty of times where I should have stepped up and said something, but I didn't. And I'm going to answer to God for that someday. And I'm fully aware of that, that God is going to deal with me on that. And he already has a lot of times. But I'm going to answer to God for the times that I knew to say something to somebody and I didn't do it because I was too chicken. I was too much of a sissy and I was afraid of what they would think about me. Isn't that pathetic that I was that much of a sissy? I'm talking about me, not you. That's that's my new thing. That's my new thing. This this is about me. It's not about you guys because I know that you're witnessing machines. But... There's a story in the Bible about somebody that did know a disaster was coming and did know there was a major catastrophe going to take place. And I want you to look in your Bibles at Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at the story of a man named Noah. Who loves the story of Noah? It's a good one. It's cute. It's cute and it's also terrifying. But let's look at Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 through 6. And so we all know the part about God told Noah to build himself an arky, arky, God told. All right. But Genesis chapter 6, we're going to read the not cute part of the story. We're going to read about the wickedness. Who wants to hear about that? All right. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And so the way that people were living, the way that people were living, they said it was pure evil. 
everybody, every day, pure evil. And God was remorseful that he had even made these people, and it broke his heart. Verse 9 says, now this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Now, the key word to this little story right here is the word righteous. Noah was a righteous man. Now, righteous means in right standing. Noah was in right standing with God. And I'm proud, and I think, I know most of you in here could say, you're a righteous person. And I would say that for you. Some people are like, well, I wouldn't want to say that. That sounds bragging. That's not bragging. That's what God says. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when you say you're righteous, that's not bragging and being conceited. That's just stating fact. Now, some of us aren't as holy as we should be, but at the same time, you are righteous because of Jesus. And so if you've received Jesus into your heart and, and you're living for Jesus, man, you're a righteous person. You're like Noah. You're in right standing with God. But the problem was, is that Noah was the only one. He was the only righteous person living for God at this time. And so look what happens here in verses 17 through 18. God's talking to him. He says, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. And so God has told Noah, as you know, to build this giant floating structure, the ark, the boat, because God spares the righteous. I'm not afraid of the great tribulation. I'm not afraid of some catastrophe and judgment for my sake. I'm righteous. And I'm not afraid for your sake in here today. You're righteous people. But I'm terrified for the people that are out there. I've got family members. I've got relations that I am terrified for because they are not righteous people. And that's not being mean and judgmental and hateful and all that stuff you want to call me. That's just stating fact by their own admission. They are not righteous people. They do not live for Jesus. They have not received Jesus. They mock him and curse him and dare him and shake their fist at him. When Jesus comes back, when the flood comes, they are in trouble. They are not on the boat. They are not on the ark. They are headed for trouble. And that's a terrifying thing right there. So the question of point number two is, why are we not out in the harvest fields? Noah had some time to build this thing. You've got to think, he, this thing was, what, 400 feet long? So, so it was longer than a football field. And, and I, I forget how many stories, but this boat was stinking huge. And listen, he didn't have power tools. He couldn't go down to Home Depot and load up on lumber. He couldn't just go buy the screws. Do you realize how long it would take to build a giant wooden structure like that with no power tools? You're building your own wooden pegs. You're getting your own wood off of the trees that you chopped down with the saw that you made. I mean, this is a long project. And during this time, Noah is warning people. He's saying, listen, I know this is crazy, but, but, but water is going to come out of the sky. And we are told that up until this point in time, the earth was not watered from water from the sky. God watered the earth from the water underneath the ground. It had never rained before, according to Hebrews chapter 11. It had never rained before in the history of the world. 
And so you think you sound crazy? Noah's going around telling people, I know this sounds crazy. Water is going to fall from the, from the sky. It's going to come out. It's almost like when I tell somebody in Barstow about rain. Like, water from the sky? What? It comes out of the sprinklers. No, it doesn't come out of the ground. It, comes out of the, it really comes from the sky first. Then it gets into the water system. Then you can sprinkle. But at the same time, here we are. And, 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 and Noah's day, and it has never rained before. And God has given him the task of telling people how he's going to destroy the earth with a massive amount of water from the sky. And they're like, yeah, right. Water from the sky. You're crazy. There's no way. Crazy, man. It's not going to come out of this. Water comes out of the ground. What, what is wrong with you, man? And he's building this giant boat for all these years. And people are mocking and laughing and making fun, just like they do to us. But guess what? The day came. The day done came. And then people weren't laughing anymore. They were desperate to be on that boat with the crazy guy. And I'm telling you, they may be laughing at you right now, but you're on the boat right now. And someday, they're not going to be laughing. They will be desperate to be on the boat with you. But there is a time when it is too late. And so I want you to flip down here to chapter 7. And I want to show you something. Chapter 7, verse 16. And so God, he's having no, they're calling the animals and they're getting ready because time is ticking just like it is right now. So chapter 7, verse 16, a male and female of each kind entered, just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. That's scary. That God closed the door of this boat. And then what happened? For 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. Listen to this. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. Now, we're also told in Genesis that water had burst from the ground and from the sky all at the same time. And if I, if I remember right, Mount Everest, I know this, is the highest peak on earth, right? It's 29,029 feet tall. And this was at least 22 feet above that highest peak. That's a lot of stinking water right there, folks. That is nearly 30,000 feet of water. That is insanity right there. And people were laughing and mocking and saying, you're crazy, man. You're crazy. It's not going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. You've been saying this for 50 years. It's, nothing's happened yet. You've been saying that. I'm still doing it. I'm still out here doing this. And look, nothing's happened to me. Where's your God now, Noah? Come on. Where's he at? Bring it, man. Bring it. And they were saying this to God. But look at that verse 16. God closed the door eventually. And when God closes the door, the door is closed. And it is not opening back up. When God closes the door, the door is closed. That's a sobering thought right there. That there was a lot of people up to that point in time that were right outside of those doors that could have got on at any point, but they chose not to. And so what I'm saying to us today is this. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers into his fields. What we're doing today is saying, get up and get into the fields. Go, get out, go into the fields. The flood is coming and there are people that I care about 
that are not on the boat right now. If that flood comes tomorrow, I've got loved ones that are not in the boat and God is going to close the door. And when God closes the door, the door is closed. You have people you love that are not on the boat. Am I right? Or does all of your relation, everybody that you love and care about is a born again on fire for Jesus Christian? Come on, hands. Anybody? You have somebody you care about that's not saved yet? Really? Okay, that's incredible. Some of you are better evangelists than I thought because by your admission right now, some of you have reached everybody in your family for Jesus. That's incredible. But me and my family, there are people that have not been reached for Jesus yet. And I'm telling you, when the flood comes, when the day comes, I need them to be on the boat. And so what I'm getting to is this right here. Number three. Everything we've said so far may sound like doom and gloom. Everything we've said so far may sound like, man, this is not an encouraging message. I came to get built up today. Listen to me. Point number three. Here we go. Pray. Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth more laborers into his fields. Now listen. God's probably not asking you today to get up and be a full-time preacher and quit your job and just go out on the streets preaching and all that stuff. Maybe he is, but chances are that's not exactly what he's calling you to do. But listen to me. Everybody in this room, God has assigned you to pray for somebody. God has assigned you to reach somebody that I can't reach. There's somebody... That is your assignment in this world. There's somebody that, you know, Katie says this all the time. Well, she'll be working with someone and ministering to someone. And, and she's like, you know, they're my assignment, right? I'm like, oh, I didn't know. My bad. Sorry. Take your time. But she's, she uses that phrase all the time. They're my assignment. I got to go. I got to go talk to them. I'm like, OK, fine. Go talk to them. But all of us, we have an assignment. Somebody is, is your assignment. And I'm asking you right now. Think about it. Who is your assignment? You know who it is. You know. And it's probably somebody that you're not crazy about either. Somebody that is, God has assigned you to be their light, to be the one to bring them in. It's probably somebody that is highly irritating to you. Somebody that you don't get along with, you don't see eye to eye with. But listen, I'll bet you that they are your assignment and they're in your life. For you to reach them for Jesus. But you're too busy like, oh, get them away from me. I can't stand them. Get them out of my sight. I don't want to see them again. Oh, Lord Jesus, get them away. Listen, that can't be your attitude, man. That's the harvest. Don't cut the harvest off and kick the harvest out. Bring the harvest in. Bring the harvest in. We need that. And so until the church takes prayer seriously, we won't see revival I know people that talk about revival all the time, but they don't ever do anything for it. Lord Jesus, send us revival. Lord! 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 What's that? It's time for revival. You know, I, I grew up in the Bible Belt, and so all these little, all these churches everywhere, they just have what they called their yearly revival. It's time for the summer revival. We're bringing Brother Evans in and his three daughters that sing. It's the summertime revival. And I'm like... 
That's not a revival. That was just a bunch of Christians that got together and sang. I'm, I'm not being mean, but that, that's not what a revival is. A revival is sinners coming to the Lord and people repenting and, and people that were lukewarm and backsliders coming back to Jesus. And so I know a lot of people that throw the term revival around way too loosely, and I almost don't like to use it anymore because people have misused the word for so long. Yes, brother, we need revival. No, man, you don't get it. What are you doing to bring about the revival? You're just talking about it, but you aren't even praying about it. You're not even going out there and witnessing the people. You've got to get this in your heart that revival does not just magically happen. People are involved in the revival. You've got your sinners, which they're already doing their thing, but then you've got the people that are supposed to be the workers, and they are not doing their thing. The sinners are way ahead of us. They're doing their job perfectly. They're sinning, they're, they're backstabbing, they're hating, they're cussing, they're, they're stealing. They're doing their job. We're not doing our job. We've got to get out there and do our job. James 5.16, let's turn there. James 5.16. We're going to get to that cake. We're going to get back there to that punch. It's going to happen. The sweetness is coming. But we've got to deal with the bitterness first. James 5.16. I was really hoping to preach an inspirational one this week. I really was. I'm not saying that. I was really wanting to build you up and pump you up. Now I realize how much of a downer this could look like. But I'm telling you today. (laughs) This is exciting. That the harvest is great. The harvest is great. We just got to light a fire underneath some of us. James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The, the, the effective, fervent, the effectual, fervent prayer of a lukewarm Christian, oh, it avails much. Woo! When the backslider prays. When the mocker prays to God. No. It says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That brings me back to the story of Noah. What was Noah? He was a righteous man. Noah was not somebody that lived for God on Sundays, but then on Mondays went out drinking with his buddies. Went out smoking and chewing and, 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 and looking at women. And, and, and Noah wasn't that type of a guy. Noah was a righteous man. And it says right here, for the righteous man, their prayers avail much. And I like the New Living says, has wonderful power and produces amazing results. And I'm telling you right now that that's the type of prayers that we need. The prayers of righteous men and women of God. And so revival is when a whole bunch of people, a righteous people, they get to praying. And then they get out there on the streets. They get out there into the harvest fields and God causes something amazing to happen. He brings people into the kingdom of light. He brings people onto the ark before the flood comes. That's what we need in 2018. And I want to tell you a quick story before we wind things down here. But, and you know me, I like history, so I'm a bit of a nerd, so get past that point. But in the 1800s, we had this great revival in the U.S. called the Second Great Awakening. Woo. Lots and lots of people gave their lives to Jesus. And it was a time when revival was absolutely needed. There was sin. 
there was darkness, there was evil. And you're like, man, I thought that was a good old day. That, no, there was some evil stuff going on back then, man. There was slavery and all kinds of stuff. But listen to this. Some people, their eyes got open that this is not right, man. Things need to change. And a revival broke out because the righteous started praying. The righteous started standing up. The righteous started going out into the harvest fields. And I'm telling you, a massive, massive national revival broke forth and changed this nation in a great big way. But one of my favorite people of all time is a man named Charles Finney. Finney was a beast, man. Finney, he was a lawyer in New York, and he realized, he, he got it in his heart one day. He's like, I've been going to church for years. I'm a member of the church, but I've never really received Jesus. I just thought I was going to heaven. And so there was a client in his office. He walked out on his client. He went out to the woods and spent three days praying and begging God for forgiveness. I'm a sinner. I'm, I thought I was right, but I've been wrong. I never really gave my life to you. And he gave his life to Jesus. He gave up practicing law and he started preaching immediately. And in his day and age, in his period, he led over 500,000 people to Jesus. That's without any radio, TV, cell phones, computers, social media, nothing. That is hitting the streets, man. That is out there pounding the pavement. That's out there preaching the gospel to a whole lot of people. And I'm telling you what, what was the secret to his success? Why could he do this? Was it because he was the best preacher? Was it because he made great use of advertising? No, their answer to his success was point number three, prayer. Before every meeting, he'd send his friend, Daniel Nash, into the city and he would pray for weeks before the preaching ever even started. By the time the preacher got there, there was such an anointing all over the atmosphere. People were coming and flying to the altar, just breaking down. Oh, I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to get things right. He held a meeting in Rochester, New York, that was so powerful. Every bar and brothel in the entire city permanently shut down. They had no more customers Nobody was drinking, nobody was prostituting anymore in the entire city just from this one revival. And we can't go tell somebody about Jesus. We can't go tell somebody that Jesus loves them. We can't get up off the couch and go preach to somebody. Listen to me. Prayer works. We all have acknowledged the problem, but that's not enough. We've all acknowledged there's plenty of sinners out there. But what's your part? Well, the first thing Jesus said, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, you can throw it up there again. He said, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord in charge of the harvest to send more workers into his fields. And so that's what I'm looking at today as we study prayer. But what's on my heart is we've got this Easter service coming up. We've got an evangelist coming in next week. And we've got sinners all around us right now. Listen to me. The harvest is plentiful. I am not okay with just acknowledging that the harvest is great. We've got to get up. We've got to do something. This is the time. This is the season for us to go out into the fields and bring the harvest in. Who's with me today? Come on. Let's stand up together today. Come on up. Let's stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.